Hello and welcome to the Employment Group podcast from DMH Stallard, the latest in our series of episodes today is going to be on the subject of third party harassment. Uh, what is the true extent of an employer's duty to prevent it and protect staff? And what are the true costs of getting it wrong or just being plain unlucky in relation to harassment in the workplace? Uh, the law underpinning an employer's responsibility in this area is complex, arising principally from a combination of implied duties around duty to provide a safe working environment for staff, interwoven with obligations under the law of tort, principally not to fail to take steps to prevent a reasonably foreseeable risk of harm. But it's not just in the courts and tribunals that these issues bite, and that's all too apparent at the moment from recent press attention. There's been around the McDonald's uh, case and reports and investigations now happening internally into harassment suffered by staff within a franchise network, complicated further by the fact that the franchise network has effectively separate employers within it rather than being something that's totally under the control of McDonald's as a corporation. Uh, so there are very real and tangible reputational and therefore commercial impacts as well, not just the law sitting underneath it and technical breaches. Uh, so there's a lot for us to, to, to take a look at today. So um, how do we build a picture? This is one of the questions we'll ask ourselves today. How do we build a clear picture of the extent and limits of our duties as an employer? And what measures can we take that will meaningfully reduce the risk? And at the same time, I suppose, better position us to show that we've not that, that we have met rather or, ex or exceed our duties uh, and with me to discuss the current state of third party harassment in the workplace are Rebecca Thornley Gibson partner in the employment team with over 30 years experience of seeing as she puts it the good the bad and the downright ugly in employee relations and there's going to be some ugly today I'm sure uh, in when we're talking about uh, third party harassment so uh, Rebecca has significant experience working with large employers including dealing with complex and contentious harassment allegations so very well placed to talk through this issues and we also have Will Walsh partner in the employment group uh, specializing in employment law for over 20 years and during that time Will's advised a number of clients with particularly knotty harassment allegations helping them to deal not only with the internal staffing matters that come from that but also with the external PR issues uh, which can be so important and sit alongside allegations like these so Will I'll start with you do you think that when we think about the current legislative framework, legislative framework, I should say, do we think that that is fit for purpose? Does it need to be strengthened to ensure that employers do more to protect individuals from third party harassment? I guess I suppose the McDonald's case begs that question very much. So is it, is it strong enough or does more need to be done? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question, Adam. Um, and, um, very recent developments in terms of proposed new legislation um, that have been pushed through. Um, which, um, as I'll explain in just a moment, many will think that the current proposals are not quite strong enough, um, and certainly not as strong as they they did look at, certainly at the beginning of the year. Um, just to recap on what those are, um, is that, say, at the start of the year, we expected new legislation on third-party harassment in particular. Um, and what was proposed originally was that there's going to be new laws to introduce the concept or reintroduce the concept of employer liability for third-party harassment, so harassment of employees by uh, by customers, by by members of the public. Um, there's going to be liability for, for employers. That was one thing that was being looked at. Um, and then a second obligation for all employers to take positive steps to um, take all reasonable steps to avoid 
um, sexual harassment in the workplace, and that went sort of hand in hand with uh, with a penalty of uh, uplifting compensation of up to twenty five percent for those who don't um, take all reasonable steps to prevent. So that all looked quite positive. Um, but as of last week, the House of Lords have looked at the the new bill and proposed amendments, which do now look like will be the the version that goes through and gets approved by government. Mm. Um, and for those who've been pushing for these changes, will certainly come away feeling a little disappointed, to say the least, in that there's, um, the version that's going through looks a lot more watered down. Um, and what that looks like is, first of all, the third party harassment part is not going through, so that's been dropped altogether. Well, completely gone. Exactly. So that's um, that disappeared. Logic being the main reason that, that um, there was um, reticence to, to put that through. It came down to freedom of speech um, and the thought that it got too complex with because this was not just sexual harassment. It was covering all types of harassment. So the fear was that someone could overhear a conversation about political views, moral views, those sorts of things, and then hold their employer liable for a conversation held by a member of the public, for example, um, and it just went too far. The government had looked to try to, to put carve-outs in to, cover, to, to, to deal with those particular concerns, but it just got too complicated and it would be far too much for the tribunals trying to sort out um, the boundaries um, on there. So, so it decided that was, that was too complicated um, and that part, so the third part, party harassment was dropped altogether. Um, that said, it doesn't mean that employers are off the hook altogether. Um, so that you know, if an employee was being subjected to continual harassment by third parties and they did nothing whatsoever to protect their staff, then you could get into a place where the employer could be seen as condoning that type of behaviour and become liable themselves that way. But that's fairly technical um, and, and fairly limited. So that being dropped out, you know, certainly say will be um, come a, a considerable disappointment for those who are pushing for it. Um, the other limb of it, in terms of the positive step to take steps to um, to prevent sexual harassment, that stays in, but it's nevertheless it has been watered down slightly. The, the language has changed from employers having a duty to take all reasonable steps to employers have a duty to take reasonable steps. So the word of all reason, you know, all reasonable steps part has, has disappeared. Again, the logic being, yeah, I'm not sure I entirely agree with it, but an impossible duty in employers. In practice, though, I'm not sure that particular part makes a huge amount of difference. I don't think there's going to be an enormous number of cases that fall in that particular gap. Um, it tends to be the case that employers, when they fail, they fail absolutely. Um, or an employer will have taken steps to avoid harassment from taking place. I, I think it's unlikely you're going to get many that there's going to be criticism that yes you took took reasonable steps to avoid harassment but we don't you th you, you, we don't think you did all took all reasonable steps so I, I don't see that one as a hugely significant um, change in terms of that and then interestingly on the third party harassment point um, part of the commentary at the House of Lords was the fact that well part of taking reasonable steps to avoid harassment in the workplace could include taking steps to avoid um, harassment from third parties as well. Um, so time will tell how that pans out. But again, when, given that the, the strict liability for third party acts has been scrapped, um, it's certainly going to be fairly limited. Um, and then the final part is the 25% the uplift that remains. Um, so that will okay. still, be, still, still be there. So that's quite welcome for employers if the uplift remains, because all reasonable steps, that sort of concept has been debated in the courts, not just in employment law, hasn't it, for years, takes you into territory of 
sort of another phrase of best endeavors quite a high yes. burden so reasonable steps may actually be something that's more manageable and realistic for employers i suppose particularly where they have the threat of the the uplift so um depending on your perspective on this as an employer that might be a welcome a welcome development there um well, do we have a timeline really i know it's so hard isn't it to predict a timeline for most of these proposals at the moment um we've got, we've got an election coming up as well in a couple of years so yeah exactly and interesting on the election um again your first question timeline no there's nothing nothing solid um typically these things tend to come in either spring or autumn so i guess autumn is uh is, is a reasonable guess um the government have pretty much confirmed that they are backing the House of Lords changes. Um, and on your election point, the Labour government, um, uh, sorry, the Labour Party have also confirmed that they will back the bill as is now and now amended. However, they did add the comment that they are, it is also something that they would plan to revisit um, if and when elected um, next time around. So again, certainly watch this space in terms of further development, so whether it does go further um, in, a, in a year or so's time. Well, that's very helpful to know that, that insight well but yeah a dollop of wiggle room there by the sounds from the labor government in terms of changing position but we've got a couple of questions we wanted to talk about i'm, I'm really keen that we touch on the issue of um the wider risks around uh, harassment and third party harassment in particular around your per the perception of you as an employer um other risks around reputational, et cetera. And well, you've got some specific experience working with clients on that, as we mentioned earlier. But before we do that, I just wanted to jump to this issue of taking things as they stand today, Rebecca. How far does the employer duty go? You've got out, you've got work events that we've talked in the past. Listeners will be familiar with the extension of the workplace and course of employment. We've also had cases of horrendous things happening on petrol station forecourt. So is it reasonable to expect employers to police everything? Is that is that a misinterpretation uh, of where the level of duty is for employers right now, particularly for third parties? Yes. Hi, Adam. Um, I think quite often employers do feel as though they have to, or they they're put in a position where they feel as though they have to police everything. The um, you know the ability to um, you know say sorry, but this didn't happen on our watch or you know you shouldn't have been doing that anyway it's not our fault is is something that it's quite hard for an employer to um you know use um use that approach take that approach now so i think you know how far does the employer duty go well it's it's all about did the act um take place in the course of employment and then that course of employment is subject then to lots of, you know, lots of debate about what is in the course of employment. And probably the most, you know, the most common examples that we get asked to advise on is those what we call sort of probably, you know, sort of hybrid social um, work events. So a team arranged um, outing after work something like that and employers then might you know they might be um supplying um the event with alcohol it's usually in a fairly relaxed you know environment setting people are letting letting their hair down and 
people just seem to sort of let their guard down and that includes managers as well that perhaps could step in in those situations when they see things starting to perhaps um, um, sort of go beyond the bounds of sort of the expectations of reasonable and respectful behaviour and they don't necessarily see the red flags that they might have seen if it was in the workplace. And if it was in the workplace as well, people tend to sort of realise that they're perhaps under what they consider to be a, a you know a higher duty to just while well, they're getting on with their work um, and the and the time and place for comments and 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 you know what might be considered as you know sort of um, um, workplace sort of banter and, and perhaps slightly more immature sometimes behavior you know that doesn't happen so much actually when you're in your nine to five job that that's that's saved up by some people for their for their out of out of office events but yeah. the employer effectively is still on duty at that point mm. and they are still on the hook and I think whilst it may be incredibly hard to police everything um, and it is really difficult and the employer is often not in control of the situation, they are on the hook. They are vicariously liable for the acts in the course of employment, mm. um, unless they can show that they've taken all reasonable steps to prevent the act occurring. Um, yeah. and, and then we get into, well, what's a reasonable step? You know, are we into things like issuing reminders before the event to say, well, yes, you know, you're all going to have a good time, but, you know, here's our code of conduct, here's our dignity at work policy, here's our discrimination policy. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes employers don't want to do that. They almost feel as though, well, that's going to kill the mood, isn't it? But I think, you know, the responsible employer um, really does have to think about whether it's, you know, whether it takes those sorts of steps. It also has to think about things. Is it going to have an unlimited bar, for example, at some of these events, is it going to um, perhaps take the managers to one side and say, look, you know, you you might want to enjoy yourself as well, but you're here in a senior capacity and we're expecting some leadership. You know, this is sort of top down um, um, behavioural expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your take on Because it felt to, to me like at, at one point with the I mentioned I touched on the, the petrol station forecourt case, which is very much a third party harassment case, physical attack of an employee on the petrol station forecourt. And it, it seemed like the courts, it was quite a high watermark in terms of when the trigger for the employer's duty kicks in. And it was almost a very purposive approach to say, we have to find that the employer was responsible for this, because without that, there's no remedy for the for the employee who's been brutally attacked even though this was, uh, you know, a, a customer effectively wandered onto the forecourt and very quickly in an unprovoked way um, ended up physically attacking the employee. I think a lot of employers read that back in, a few years ago now and must have thought, well, well, when, when could you not be liable? Have we, have we rode back from that a bit, do you think? I think we possibly have. Um, and again, I guess you know, when it comes down to it's a refocusing, if you like, on you know, new legislation and what it should or shouldn't include. Again, whether you know the very fact that the idea about new laws about third-party harassment have been rejected mm -hmm. um, as being 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 not yeah, a good, good idea. What, whether that just 
sends things in, in a slightly slightly different um, direction. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Adam, with the uh, the petrol forecourt one. It, it very much was a, a question of someone has to be held accountable. Um, and there's been all sorts of cases, haven't there, for not just in terms of harassment, but for whether it's been data protection breaches or, or whatever, it, um, mm. where it might be, where there's been some similar kind of concepts of, well, if the employer's not held liable, um, then no one will be. But And often um, an insurer, an insurance policy sitting behind that employer's liability as well. I think if you're slightly cynical, whether that be a data breach or a employer's liability insurance to uh, to weigh on the minds of the, the court. Yeah, no, absolutely. But um, but I think, you know, again, so as a starting point for, for all employers, it's always going to be, well, what steps can we take? Um, so, so, you know, the moment they get into the mindset of, well, anything could happen, so therefore we're not going to bother or we're going to take um, less responsibility because we can't control everything. Um, then that's where, where it becomes dangerous and you start to fall foul of all sorts of obligations. Um, Whereas you know, the starting point has to be, if you can say as an employer, we have done what we reasonably can to protect our staff, whether that's from internal threats or external ones, um, again, just regardless of what the law might or might not say about third party harassment, I think most you know, responsible employers would want to ensure their place of work is a safe place of work as far as they can reasonably control it. Um, and if employers are doing that, um, yes, you may still get, become unlucky, of course you could, but um, you know, it's certainly going to be um, the foundation of, first of all, how you want to behave as an employer, um, and secondly, in terms of legal defence as well. Yeah, well, you touched on another point there we wanted to, to cover today, which you mentioned responsible employer. And I think we should just talk around this issue of um, what's the importance of this in the perception of a prospective or current employee? Do you think employees will, I mean, it'll vary, won't it, from uh, different cohorts, but they look at companies moral fibre when deciding to join or stay? I mean, there's been lots of factors, but how important do we think the reputation of an employer around providing this safe place of work, taking it seriously and being protective of their staff? How, how much does it weigh in the balance, do you think? I think, Adam, it's, you know, it's absolutely a factor now. People, you know, people have lots of different reasons for joining or for leaving companies. It might be um, career progression. It might be, you know, remuneration issues. It might be, you know, they want a different manager. But actually, a lot of people now don't want to be associated with a company that's had a bad press um, for the way it's either treated people or, or allowed people to be treated. And that includes, you know, how it allows its staff to be treated from you know, its customers, its clients, um, you know, its other business contacts. You know, nobody wants to um, be with an organisation that probably sees the pursuit of profit, you know, over and above somebody's safety, for example. You know, if they go out on a, um, you know, sort of a, um, a client meeting and they don't feel safe and then they not only don't feel safe, but they feel that they don't have a voice within the company to be able to say that something's got to be done about this. Um, but it's, it's you know, it is that, um, you know, sort of un, unthinkable sort of um, approach that some companies take that they might not want to talk to that client or that customer because they're, you know, the you know, the sort of the revenue generating sort of top customer client, and um, they they fear that they might lose that if they raise an uncomfortable issue. 
with them but absolutely you know people want a workplace culture that they feel respected in that they feel uh valued in and and you know this word safe you know i think that word you know i want to have you know a safe space um used to be something people would perhaps talk about you know in a non-work context but it's become very much part of sort of workplace sort of parlance now i think to to feel an entitlement to a safe space um at work and if you don't have that then uh, um people are probably going to be unproductive anyway you know there's going to be tensions uh and and you know people will go home and they'll think well actually you know i'm dreading going into work tomorrow morning so i'm going to start looking for somewhere where perhaps you know i do feel safer i do feel that if i have an issue it will be properly listened to and addressed and I'm, I'm thinking a couple of years ago there was a lot of bad press around Brewdog and the um, you know bar staff who are obviously on the front line of customers who you know are having their own good time and and take things a little bit too far you know probably didn't feel that they were in an organization that treated reports of harassment particularly seriously and you had you know you you had at that time a lot of issue with getting people into the hospitality industry and i think the taint of that harassment um or, or the the taint of a lack of concern over the harassment from brewdog um really impacted on their recruitment and a lot of people also left yeah um, i mean so it, they, it, they, yeah hits the organisation in the pocket, doesn't it, potentially as well? I mean, Will, it, it, you know, tight, we've got a tight tight labour market. Um, you take Rebecca's example there. Uh, it may be that um, organisations like Brewdog are having to increase their wages to, to attract people to stay and wondering why, and is it, you know, why are we paying more than maybe our, our main competitors? And it, it could well be that that is a real uh, material issue. I mean, some of those issues and allegations were at senior management level about the conduct of senior management themselves, wasn't it? So, I mean, do you do you see that as an issue that that you know, even if you can find the staff, one way or another, you're probably going to pay. You're going either going to pay more to get them, or you're paying because you can't actually find people that will work for you at all. Yeah, um, and I suppose you know, again, we're using the example of. Of the, of the likes of a brew dog again it's not I guess it's not just the staffing issues it's just the, you know, the, the general damage that cause to their to the reputation as a brand um yeah. as yeah. well we should say so, we're not know. making any we're not making any finding here or suggesting that <laughs> any allegations were upheld or not no uh just to just to manage manage that side of things but yeah carry on Will. um as, as Rebecca says this, this was you know, it was around about two years ago now and it's you know it's still very much fresh in people's minds and something that people still remember about them as an organisation, again, the same is going to happen with um, more recent news with McDonald's, those sorts of things. It sticks mm. in the mind, um, which is going to have a you know, financial impact um, in other ways as well, isn't it? Um, in terms of their um, the, the potential impact on their on their consumers, um, and it's and once that damage is caused, it's very hard to unravel it. So, you know, regardless of what an organisation might try and do later, try and fix the problem, you don't really hear about that in the press, do you? Um, yeah, everyone always for the bad news and the thing that the company did five, ten years ago. Even um, you know, once the reputation is tarnished like that, that it, it sticks um, for a, for a very for a long time. And as you say, whether the allegations are ultimately proven or not, 
once it's out there um, and you know the, 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 the public, that's what they get remembered by. So it's um, it, it's a very important um, issue from that you know that that, that PR side, the damage to reputation um, that can yeah. arise just simply by having a culture that gets left unchecked too long. Um, yeah. Um, and as say, as Rebecca says, again from the company point of view, you know the turnover, the productivity, the sickness absence that can um, that can run together with the legal risks of, um, as well. And of course, you know if the culture gets unchecked for too long, there's potentially you know that you have that organisation where there's maybe a culture of a bit of fear with people afraid to speak up, and it gets worse and worse, and then all of a sudden. The dam bursts. The first person speaks out. Um, again, as we saw last week with McDonald's, it can unravel very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, what was a, quite a manageable situation, maybe, um, if um, for, for employees who can nip this in the bud early and have the right culture in place, um, are all, all of a sudden hit with an enormous storm of um, of things to deal with. And the amount of against regards to the legal risk, risk, the PR risk, the damage to reputation. The amount of um, management time that then has to be devoted to trying to unpick all these um, grievances and you know, all of that all, all at once um, coming from all over the place um, can be absolutely horrendous to deal with. So, you know, very well served to to not allow that culture to fester um, and, um, and and get and get it right to start off with. I think um, I was Go just on, going bro. to say, I think we were talking about pay with Brewdog, what sort of things that they, um, you know, potentially looked at doing to to try and sort of alleviate some of these concerns that people perhaps had or to to change the change the um the perception and uh move the narrative on and they came up with a very innovative bar, bar staff could keep 50 percent of the profits yeah. Yeah. so you know incredibly radical now not sure whether that was meant to, you know, then sort of completely deflect from the harassment. You know, it was so radical. It was almost, okay, well, they're now remembered for this sort of 50% keeping um, of the um, um, of the bar takings rather than necessarily the harassment. But I think it just shows it is the harassment side we probably do remember rather than the, you know, the fact that they put some more money into people's pockets, you know, so yeah. that shows that it isn't all about the pay. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and I'm going to sound cynical today, well, particularly cynical, more cynical than I normally am. But if you think of the press and the media, it's rare that you, if ever, that you get a news story run to go, oh, those allegations that we uh, ran a story on six, 12 months ago, whatever, an investigation has been completed and there were findings that nothing bad had happened. That's not going to win. The, the You know, when you're doing your, your round table in the newspaper of what's going to be our uh, leader column, it isn't going to be that. So, as Will says, that what's left is the oh, never really heard, did we? But we're left with that sense of there was some bad stuff yeah. said. Um, and yeah, it's interesting what you say when we talk about pay, and uh, we're, we're touching on this issue now about how do, how do you best ensure the right behaviours are exhibited? But the, the interesting thing, we'll, we'll we'll look at that question. But in extreme cases, some employers might say, we're not looking to ensure the right behaviours are exhibited. We're changing the metrics of the relationship so that people still come and work for us, but they're those who are prepared to put up with that kind of environment. It's almost danger money, if I can put it in that blunt way. Um, but so it, let, let's assume that our listeners are not our employers who aren't so much in that territory. Of sort of, we just pay you danger money and you come into work. And if you get harassed sexually or physically or whatever, then you, you've had your extra pay and you, you're happy to take the risk. 
for our for our listeners who are looking thinking no in, in real terms how do we change the behavior this this is the the tricky question isn't it what do we do to ensure we've got um because it, it covers two things you need to be seen to have taken steps to to try and manage this risk we know the legal risks are there but you also do in real terms want the risk to be managed you know genuinely don't want this stuff happening what 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 can we do well who's going first this is the tricky one will do you yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, obviously, the starting point again. It's, it sounds a little bit boring, and um, uh, something sort of lawyers will always quote. But um, uh, obviously, policy documents are always going to be there as a starting point. But I would just simply putting a policy in place saying this is what we consider to be good behaviour and bad behaviour, and leave it at that is not going to be nearly enough. Um, you need to um, to actually back that up with with proper actions as well. However. The policy is still going to be an important starting point, simply because you know, the number of times that we see cases go through um, or potential cases going to go to tribunal, and it's often one of the first questions that gets asked um, in terms of, well, you know, where's the where's your policy about it? You know, if you're trying to defend yourself against a, against a, an allegation of harassment, if the answer is we have no policy in place and we've got nothing in writing to tell our staff what behaviour we expect. That's a bad starting point um, when trying to defend something like that. So it's important from 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 that perspective. Um, and then beyond that, again, obviously education of staff um, is important, but also equally important. It's done the right way um, because, again, from um, taking snippets from from the, some of the the McDonald's stuff, there's you know stories of they had training, but the training compiled, requiring managers to look at a. A video, and there was a manager you know, reports of managers with their iPads propped against the the McFlurry machine on fast forward whilst they were making drinks, so they could just tick the box saying yes, done. Um, so there's that side of it, and also, again, employers think you have to be really careful about um, what's uh, doing it the wrong way that it becomes to victim. You know, it looks like victim blaming as a, as, a, as a consequence with you know so people being dragged into a looking at it from that perspective about all oh, these troublemakers raising you know you need to be careful about striking that balance of of, of not going so far one way um that um say that, that, that the people who are genuine victims are then seen to be um the troublemakers yeah. um so you know so, so that that's that's important um but i think probably you know the most important is really again coming back to rebecca's point about the the safe workplace and part and parcel of that is having um, the right culture and mechanisms in place to allow employees to feel that they are able to raise concerns, genuine concerns that they have in a safe way. Because um, again, you hear all these the, the horror stories of where, you, where, uh, where these things build up and people are just too afraid to speak out. They're um, being harassed by people who are seniors to them both in age and, um, and, and in terms of management structure. Um, and they're junior, they're young, it's maybe their first job and they don't know what to do about it. Um, so that's, I think, a huge part of it is giving sort of the employees the right tools to address it in the right way. Again, um, with a balance there of making sure that people don't go too far um, the other way and allegations over nothing are raised. So, of course, you know, that's equally important. Um, but, you know, it's a question of, sort of developing that culture. Again, it's not an easy thing. There's not sort of one size fits all. Um, yeah, and part of that is going to be for every organisation to run its own risk assessment as well, in terms of you know what areas might employees be subjected to harassment. Um, and again, it yeah, may be understanding different. where the risks are. That's a good point. You know that yeah. you need different approaches in different parts of the business. There, yeah, there exactly. May be, there may be risks in two different parts of the business, but they're very different in how they manifest. 
Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, it could even be simple things such as you know some people do a lot have a lot of face to face interact some on phone lines and it's all via email and um and and phone and again sometimes people what people post on an email mm. they might not be brave to say face to face. So again, yeah. there's different risks and all, all sorts of areas. So you know it's, it's a question of just thinking about your business as you say the different parts of it identifying where these problems may may lie and the best solution to um to avoid it yeah i, I mean, there's a point there rebecca sorry I was just gonna, yeah um you talked about people having feeling there's a culture where they can feel confident in coming forward i think to my mind and what your take is on this, there's also a need to have a culture within managers and hr of feeling confident that you want to you know really really look at these issues and take them on and and not shy away because it can be quite daunting you know you get on your desk if you're in hr hrbp you get this maybe cross grievance you know multiple grievance again and you look and go my goodness these issues are really really gritty difficult things um, yeah i think it's yeah absolutely and i you know it's that step back moment isn't it it's rather than mm. thinking i've got a nine page you know list of concerns that's just been put on my desk it's actually saying well you know I'm not the one usually that will have to determine these. That's going to be somebody else's job. I need to now show that we're acting fairly, that we've got a process for dealing with this, um, that, you know, the individual that's raised it isn't going to feel a nuisance um, and they're yeah. not going to feel as though there's a detriment, you know, to them by having uh, raised it. And I think I was just going to add that to Will's points about, you know, making sure that, you know, matters are dealt with. But I also think making sure that individuals are, um, you know, in an environment where they feel they can call bad behaviour out, even if it's not bad yeah. behaviour that's happened to them. But it's things that they have witnessed that has made, well, it might not even have made them feel uncomfortable, but they're aware that it could make others feel uncomfortable. So the ability to call bad behaviour out. And I think the thing that sometimes, um, you know, HR can um, can struggle with is when an individual wants to just reference a particular matter. They don't want to take it as a formal grievance at that stage. They want to make HR aware. And I think you have sometimes too much of a black and white approach to, well, if you've raised a complaint, then you've absolutely got to go all the way with it. Yeah. Whereas somebody yeah, might have just wanted to say look I want to make you aware because if something happens again there's a perhaps a pattern of you know uh, potential behavior here and I think HR need to you know need to to move perhaps the dial away from it's either one thing or the other it's either you don't complain um, or you know or if you do complain, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it has be to be a formal grievance. Have, yeah, you have to go all yeah. the way. Yeah. Because I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, there will be acts of harassment that on their own might not appear overly serious, perhaps at a point in time. But those, you know, it's like the microaggressions, once they start to be looked at, you know, on a collective basis, actually you know somebody here there is a pattern of behavior and that then needs to be addressed um yeah. and it doesn't have to be a pattern of behavior towards one individual it can have been you know over a course of time to a number of individuals but 
you know, HR or, you know, the company are then responsible for dealing with that and preventing further, you know, micro acts of um, harassment that are going to cause people um, to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe that's our big takeaway from the session today. We talked about the, the apparently shifting underlying legal constructs here and protection of law. We talked about how that won't much matter because to the things like reputational harm and actually toxic workplace cultures and what they do to your business commercially and reputationally but that in reality you can't remove all risk like anything in life um but what we're saying is that you what you're doing is seeking to minimize it but actually maybe partly through that it's about being authentic as an employer and saying that things happen not not being inauthentic in saying well, we're an organization that not, nothing like this will ever happen in our organization we manage it, we're all perfect individuals and we manage it to such a degree that it'll just never happen. Um, and that you have there's the realism injection to say, things will go wrong sometimes. Um, we don't want that, but that's that's authentic and the, the reality. And it's about how we look to support each other and deal with it when it goes wrong. Um, I don't know what you think of that, Will, whether it's, it's being brave enough to go, it will happen from time to time. We do all we reasonably can to prevent it, but we also focus very much on how do we how do we respond when it does, rather than we can somehow make it never happen. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think you know, the um, as nice as it would be to think of uh, a world where no one ever gets harassed ever again, um, it's just not going to happen, is it? But you know, there's always going to be you know we're all, all we're all human. Um, someone is going to say something. Either because it's in their, or, or do something because it, it happens unfortunately to be in their nature, or, or possibly inadvertently. Um, it, yeah, it, it's going to happen. But as you say, I agree with you entirely, Adam. I think it, it's all about how we deal with it. Um, you know, do what we can do, what, whatever we possibly can to prevent it, um, and then it's about the reaction to to dealing dealing with it properly afterwards. Um, again, most most importantly internally, but also you know, from that perspective of, of, of externally as well in terms of. Um, PR and doing the right things from um, from that perspective to yeah. um, to safeguard your reputation as 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 best you can. Um, but you know sometimes it is a question of owning the mistake, not looking for excuses, saying, "Okay, fine, um, this didn't go as we expected it to." Um, we're happy to hold our hands up, and we're going to deal with this, and we're going to deal with it, deal deal with it properly, and that's just as important. Yeah, indeed. Well, maybe yeah. And, and maybe it's a revisiting that those collaborative working sessions and training between team leaders and the people on the front line as managers that need to spot these things and deal with them in the right way with HR, making sure that that, that kind of ethos is properly embedded. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, we, we, we always see the words, you know, we take a zero tolerance approach to harassment on policies and, and sometimes yeah. in um, you know, sort of uh, company statements, etc. But you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen a company that's put out a message saying, "Come and work here." We have zero harassment because it's simply recognised that's not possible. You know, I think yeah, we all agree indeed. that's not possible. You know, all and, we and can really maybe, do, yeah. Maybe, maybe the the messaging needs to change a bit, or it be it would be welcome if it didn't just say zero tolerance in that sort of authoritarian sort of way, but said, um, "We we do all we can to prevent these things happening, but we're here." For those who um, have un unfortunate experiences, when it does, we support you. It's yeah. more, it's, it's focused more on the pastoral kind of side of things, um, without the fear though that 
oh, that wording might make it look to a tribunal later that we we didn't really try to prevent it. We kind of acknowledged and accepted it would happen. So we haven't done. But I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? That we, we put the measures in place, but things do sometimes go wrong. And when they do, we we will be there to support you. And for some employees, I think that will really resonate to say, yeah, it's authentic that they're recognising these things happen, but it's about what how we respond when they do. Um, when they do. So that's been really, uh, really interesting discussion. Thank you both for that. Uh, there are lot, lots more. I mean, this subject, as, as Will said, we're not going to find a world when harassment never happens. So there will be uh, a continuing further development in these areas. And we may come back to uh, another discussion on it in a couple of years when we've got some shiny new bits of legislation, Will, on the horizon as well that you, you touched on there. But um, for now, thank you both very much um, for your time today. Quick reminder to our listeners to follow the podcast on LinkedIn. Uh, and you can also find um, new news articles uh, on the latest updates on our website as well. And you can follow the podcast from there. So thank you all very much for listening. Mm-hmm.